The BWI Daily Edition on Pro Day. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Nate Bauer is here. It's Thursday, which means Penn State's Pro Day is finally here, but it's also Thursday because we got to do the mailbag, Nate. we got questions that people want answers to. Are you ready to expound on seven-word questions for 15 minutes? Uh, maybe depends on what the topic is. <laughs> that's a good point. We got some good questions today, so I think that's an important. Uh, I guess that's that's where my mind is going immediately. Is we've got some questions about pro day. We got some questions about nil. Um, all the news of the week, our viewers and listeners already hit on. So we're not we're not bringing things up before we get to uh your questions today on the BWI Daily Edition, which of course you can always submit at bluewhiteillustrated.com in the Lions Den message forum if you're a premium member. So here's the important things you need to know. There's a checklist of things you need to do after you watch this video. The first one is subscribe here to Blue White Illustrated on YouTube so when you watch this, you don't ever miss it and it comes out and you're like, oh yeah, there's the there's the mailbag. I'll, I'll throw that on. Because today we're releasing it during Pro Day, seeing as we're talking about Pro Day, so it's a little bit of an earlier release. So subscribe, hit the notifications in case there's any special circumstances of when we release videos. Uh, secondly, here's the other thing. Subscribe to BlueWhiteIllustrated.com for just a dollar. Then you can ask questions and you can be a part of the show because Lions Den Message Forum listeners and viewers and subscribers, they get their questions on the air. And of course, I solicit from Twitter as well, at Thomas Frank Carr. Put it out on Wednesdays. So you uh, you have a couple different ways you can get your questions on the air, but BlueWhiteIllustrated.com Message Forum for a dollar is the way to go, Nate. I've always called it a message board. What's the difference? It's a forum. I, so I the, it's a it, yeah. it's it's a it's a forum, but you post messages on the board. I think this is like when you name a stadium and then name the field. By the yeah, way, maybe, maybe every day message is game boards. Day. Oh, that's nice. I like that. <laughs> mine says, mine says, work hard, nap hard. <laughs> I would have one that says work hard, and on the other side it says work harder. You didn't work hard enough the first time. But I'm I'm very uh, I say a lot of things, so I'm very wordy. The, the gift givers in our lives know us very well. Yes, and they know they knew to get me the largest cup that they could. Um, so appreciated. Now I know there's people out there that have gigantic cups of coffee. So I'll just go with my regular large one. Okay. We've had enough fun already, Nate. We've talked about yeah, coffee. No more fun. Talked about subscribing. Now let's talk about the questions that people want to hear. The information, the news, the insight that you bring to this episode. The BWI Mailbag with Nate and T. Frank is live. Let's go to our first question, which is, I hope I got this in the right order here. Yes. Mike uh, GKSPSU asks, does the new NIL collective announcement mean Penn State is caught up to other schools from an NIL perspective, narrowed the gap, or just taking the first step? Greg and Ryan suggested that NIL will play a big factor in the class of 23 earlier this week on the BWI recruiting show. Uh, and it's a big way for the class of 2024. Is Penn State now on track to be able to compete from an NIL perspective? A lot of this is very new information, Nate, but this is something that's been going on behind the scenes. So what's your view of where Penn State is in the NIL landscape? Right. So 
you know, it took me some time to come around to this and to, to start to understand um, kind of this mindset. But he, here's the question to you, T. Frank, is do other programs, right, athletic department, not see this, this is where it gets tricky, yep. right, is it's not the athletic department's doing. They can't be affiliated. So, so. Um, at least that's the way we have to talk about it, <laughs> right? Or right. at least that's the way they have to represent it. So it's it's not specifically affiliated. But my question is: is do other schools have them already? Do other schools have collectives already? Uh, several do. I think a lot of them do. A lot of the major players have a collective. Yes. Okay. And so when Penn State announces. It's or uh, again, not Penn State, but uh, the people who have organized this latest, yeah. newest, what appears to be most well organized collective with the the most punch behind it. Yeah. On March twenty three, um, that means you're playing catch up. That, yeah. That's just the bottom line. Is that means that you're playing catch up. Um, you know, I, I I would I would look at it. Clo like somewhere in between of the the uh the options given here in the question yeah uh i would i would put it there between narrowing the gap and taking the first step it's not the first step but it's it's only a little bit ahead of that and so the things uh that i saw yesterday in terms of the response from from our message board and the way that people are talking about it you know, look, like, and, and we know this, we we literally just launched a site, right? On November 1, we launched yeah. Blue White Illustrated at On3. Yep. <clears throat> it takes time. There's, there's, there are, yep. <laughs> there are things that have to happen, uh, kinks that need to be ironed out that, that take time and can only happen with time. And so, you know, I, I think that it is of critical importance for the people who are behind this collective to be able to have it up and running and operational and 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 be able like I, I don't think that there should be an expectation from uh, anyone's end that that it would come out without a hitch. Right. right. Like that, there, that there would be no snafus. And so it's just a matter of. Can you get it rolling to where it is again rolling, right? Where it's natural for for student athletes, where it's natural for the larger community uh, yeah. of people to to get involved. And you know, I, I I don't know, like I don't know what the answer to that is as to to, to what a reasonable timeline is, but it's just it's just important. It, it's just <laughs> like I, I, I'm beating a dead horse, but it's just it's all extremely important that it gets to a level that is comparable to what's happening uh, elsewhere in the country. Uh, let's back up for a second and explain. Uh, just give the name of the NIL collective and who's behind it for people that did not see this announcement yesterday. It was, of course, over at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. Uh, Greg Pickle wrote up uh, a story based on the press release. And for Lions Den Message Forum members, once again, I'm going to bring this up. There's more detailed information from uh, the people behind it on our message board. So if you want to get information about all of that stuff, it's great. It, it's This is a dollar that you're signing up yeah. for to get the yeah, information yeah. about how you, you can be a part of success with honor. But uh, explain the NIL collective, who's behind it and what they, uh, you know, kind of what the announcement was yesterday. 
So, so the, like, as you mentioned, success with honor is the name of the collective and the chair, the, the board chair is Ira Lubert, who is, uh, respectfully like a heavy hitter, right? Yeah. Uh, the, um, a, a very successful businessman, um, who has been a board chair of Penn state's board of trustees, like big, big deal, big deal guy in the Penn state ecosystem. And, you know, there, there are others on the direct board, uh, who are kind of operating this, but, uh, Jason Belzer is the, operator like he's he's got um a bunch of these right like the penn state isn't the only one um and so there there's kind of this like hybrid of money and power right at, at yeah on the board chair uh institutional knowledge uh yep. in terms of like people who have done this before and then they have this advisory board which is filled with names of of people that every Penn Stater is familiar with, yep. right? Lisa Lisa Salters, Michael Robinson, Todd Blackledge, yep. Calvin Booth, GM that one, of yes, right, like that one's interesting to me as far as um, and I know basketball kind of takes a, a secondary seat at Penn State, but having an NBA GM on your advisory board and having that sort of uh, institutional knowledge of the NBA and having that sort of clout uh, that can't hurt having Penn, advancing Penn State's you know aspirations as a basketball program, right? How much can that sort of influence of a guy who's on the the advisory board, maybe not a huge, not one of the founders, you know, somebody who is, um, I don't know how involved he is specifically, being yeah. that his job is pretty important. But like, what is the tangible benefit of having a Michael Robinson or a Calvin Booth as a part of the advisory board? Yeah, well, look, like I, I think that without knowing all of the ins and outs, my first impression would would simply be to say that it lends cachet to this organization, right? Yeah. So that student athletes, who like that's what this is about, is getting student athletes on board to entrust, right, or to become a part of this operation, mm -hmm. um, because because it's it kind of acts as like a portal, you know, effectively to, to pair student athletes again with opportunities. Yes. But also just like money. Yeah. Yeah. They're <laughs> right? already like, fundraising. They're fundraising for student athletes is a, is yeah, a the, part of the initial launch as well. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that the, I think that the primary difference here in terms of what, what, I have come to understand about Penn State's landscape is Penn State. Penn State, Penn State already has one of these. Okay, uh, it, it's called Happy Valley Talent, mm -hmm. and it is operated by the um, Chamber of Commerce, yes. essentially, right? For, uh, in state the tourism College. board or whatever the tourism they are, I think. board, right? Yeah. Exactly, and and like they're doing their own thing and they, they have some players, uh, some, some Penn state current Penn state football players who are involved in it. Um, but the, but the difference again, again, like I'm, I'm just speaking from, uh, a kind of a cursory knowledge, but it's, it's legitimately, are you a business 
And do you have an opportunity for a student athlete? If the right. answer is yes to both of those, then you have access to this portal where you can then at that point pair with these, these players and, you know, have a sponsorship deal or, or a charity deal, what, what, what have you. Yeah. The difference here, the difference here with between that and success with honor is success with honor is just a slush fund. It is a, hey, we are going to take, we are going to collect as many different sources of income to mm -hmm. put into one big pot. Um, and and the, the pot has dividers, right? By sport, uh, whatever, whatever the fan base wants to get involved in. But you know, think, think of it, um, think of it like a, like a stock that's kind of divided. You don't have to buy the whole stock in this case, right? right? If you're a fan, you can invest very simply in, Hey, I want this to, to support the fund that pays football players for NIL opportunities. Yeah. And so that's, that's, that's the important distinction here is you broaden the net exponentially by opening it up to fans who who don't have a business, right? Yeah. Who don't have a an NIL opportunity, but would very much like to support that endeavor for for Penn State football players, or basketball, yeah. or women's volleyball, or soccer. You know, like down the list. And I so, think that that's going to come to fruition too. Yes, and that was my next question. Is you mentioned you can you can support whatever sport you want. Is this also a way to? So paying athletes versus operational costs. Is this any mm -hmm. any way to in the future save some sports if there is a economic crunch with at Penn State in the athletic department and and fans want to save the swimming and diving team or you know uh, some other non-revenue yeah. sport tennis, thank you. Another team that yeah. uh maybe they just put uh, with tennis they just put in a new stadium. So like you know, how, how does that work when, when it comes to this particular um, thought? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah <Excuse> no, <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't um, it doesn't it doesn't move the needle to that end. And and that's kind of what we're starting to talk about. And this is the the larger conversation is, you know, are you dealing with finite resources? Right. That's the question is, is academic Penn state as a university is a university, right? It, it has its own fundraising, uh, operation. It's like a, this big deal of how to raise funds for Penn state university proper. And then athletics has its own separate thing, right? The Nittany lion club and the, the things that are involved in, um, you know, your, your, seat license for football, like all, all of these donations that are made that go towards the Nittany Lion Club, uh, that give you points and that they've got, they, they have their own whole system. Okay. Yeah. Th this is something completely separate from both of those in that it is very simply an avenue toward compensating student athletes for what they do right <laughs> like for for using their name image and likeness on uh, Nate, stuff i uh i don't want I, I don't want to come across with with too hard of an opinion here but i can't help but make the connection that this feels like tipping your waiter like i yeah, you know, bit. like you're 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 going to the game. 
You're paying yep. for the seat license. You're paying for the ticket. You're paying for parking. And yep. now you got to tip the athlete because for some reason we can't pay them. <laughs> I And it just like the whole like I understand that there are so many other layers to it beyond that and that I'm oversimplifying something that has been years and years and years and years and years of institutional norms. Yeah. But at the end of the day, when when I just you just you're describing it, it just feels a little bizarre at times. Yeah, I, I mean, look, like there's there's a reality to the fact that institutionally decisions were made as to what the notion of amateurism was, right? And that and that it was. I mean, this is this is this is where it gets goofy. Is that it's not for the institution's benefit; it's to the benefit of the student athlete that they maintain their purity in not being compensated with with and again like i understand where people are going to come in on this with tangible cash yes money yes not you not can't eat a, you can't eat a scholarship like i understand Correct. that the, the value of an education is incredibly high but that's like saying you have uh you have a house like you can't eat a house you can't go and buy something with your locked asset. Right, right. Yeah, you you, you can't get you can't get a, a DVD player or Blu-ray. Every <laughs> a Netflix a Netflix subscription. That's the first whatever time the, that our age has shown that yeah, we're buying the, Blu-rays. Yeah, I, yeah, I should have I should have said a Walkman. Um, <laughs> hello, youths. <laughs> Uh, no, yeah. so like, that's, but that's that is that is what we're yeah. That's what the deal is, right? And so and so, as opposed to tipping, which is a societal norm, um, this isn't. This is not a societal norm, and so that's yeah. the challenge that is at, at hand right now for the collective and for student athletes, and and on down the line is. How do you make it a, a societal norm? How do you get people to understand that this is happening everywhere else? Not, and, and not just understand, but embrace the idea that this is happening everywhere else. And if you don't, if you're not a part of it, if, if there isn't a groundswell of support for this, that you will fall behind. And not, not only will you fall, fall behind in the future because we're constantly talking about this in reference to recruiting. Yeah. But I wrote a story yesterday, Sandy Barber brought it up. College athletics recruiting, not just football, not just basketball down the line. College athletics recruiting is players on your team who you want to stay on your team. It is transfer portal. Yeah. Right, like players who you want to appeal to, who are in the transfer portal, who have an opportunity to to transfer away from the school that they're presently with to you. Like it, it, it's messy, and yeah. I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see, we'll Let, see how it goes. Let's talk about it in real terms. This is something that uh, Ryan Snyder, our coworker, was talking about on the BWI Daily Recruiting Show on Tuesday. That uh, Gabriel and Grayson Murphy. You know, UCLA has an NIL deal. 
So they're committed to UCLA. They verbally committed to UCLA, but they took a visit to Penn State. Penn State announces this a couple days later. Is that in enough time to influence the decision of of two players in the transfer portal? This is not a theoretical thing that's coming. It's here right now. It's making it's making an impact. In the in the in the season for 2022, if Penn State can get to uh, I think high profile as far as their their abilities, pass rushers, which they desperately need, and yeah. uh, you know I talked to Rodney Gallagher on the BWI Daily Edition, and one of the last things I asked him, he's like, I want to go into sports business, sports management. That's something he's interested in doing. So I asked him, is NIL going to be a big deal for you? And he said yes. Yeah. So these these are decisions that are affecting. Things happening right now. So Penn State yes. getting in the game was critical, uh, and and one of the things I, that they mentioned on the message board that I think is important too is uh, that it's not just handing a bag full of cash to players. The success with honor, the reason it's named that, obviously, is you know deep in Penn State tradition with Joe Paterno, but also that they're going to try and educate and inform the athletes about money and taxes and all of these things. So when people go yeah. with the, yeah, but, or, and, and uh, like what I read was our mission statement. That's what we're here to do is to make sure all of that stuff happens for these players. So I appreciate that from, from that perspective of it's still about education because I know from a personal standpoint, I had to learn hard lessons when it came to money and finance early in my life. And I didn't have a lot of money to mess up. But the more money you have to mess up, the more bad things that can happen to you. So I just think that yeah. that's important as well. And I'm glad that, and I hope it's not just lip service. I hope that that is a part of what's going on with this particular NIL at Penn State. It It's, I mean, that's that's quaint, T. Frank. Like I know, I know. I'm, you know, I'm a quaint old school it, person. You you are, and it's and it's and it's sweet. It's just not what it's actually about. It yeah. is, and 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 you know, I think that this actually has proven to be a, a, a little bit of a misstep. Is on the front end of it from Penn State's perspective, it was very solely like, like the athletic department's approach right. was solely educational. Yep. Is this is this is what our you know, fundamental mission is, is to get these players to understand what opportunities they could have and how to deal with all of that, how to, to best present yourself and grow your social media following and, and all of these different things. That's, there is, there is a, a core goodness to that. Like that's a good thing, but that's not what NIL is about. That's not what that's not what collectives are about. Yeah, they are about um, like, will there be a fight and a competitiveness to doing it the best way? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that, I think that I think that there is probably an argument to be made, a case to be made as we get down the line in this four, five, ten years, there are going to be horror stories. There, there, yeah. there are going to be players who didn't pay taxes or didn't have, didn't understand tax implications, didn't yep. understand, um, you know, like contracts and requirements and get themselves into bad, 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 bad situations that the school and the institution don't protect them from. Right. And if and when that happens, 
you can bet that there are going to be other collectives and other schools who say, hey, look, this didn't happen here. Right. And we would never let it happen to you. Um, don't go there. Yeah. Come here. Yeah. And from an on-field perspective, and we've spent about 20 minutes talking about the first question on the BWI mailbag. So we should get to another question. And I all this day. Is the biggest, this is the biggest story, the most important thing that's going to happen, uh, not just today, but maybe this spring, you know. Uh, so uh, I'm I mean, worried. Drew Lawar, come on. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it depends what happens if he transfers to another NIL collective. You know, people are people are still <laughs> terrified. No, no, people are still terrified. It, it, I, I, I don't know if it's a psychological thing, Nate. I, I think it says yep. something like we could probably do a psychological test on some of these, uh, you know, some of the, the messages we've gotten of under, understanding people's viewpoint of when they have something valuable in their mind, like Drew Aller. And they're yep. still he's on campus still. Still, he's in a Nittany Lion jersey. We have video of him throwing passes, and they're like, "What if he leaves?" So anyway, um, yeah, I, yeah, I worry. I worry about um, from a football perspective that players will go to schools based on the money, mm -hmm. and you'll have really good football players with a lot of potential going to subpar coaches that just have more money, and then you have players that don't develop the way they should that is purely from a football perspective that is purely no. from a my view as a as a football analyst that you don't want good players going to bad situations where they just waste their time but I think this is what we go back to when we talk about is it the play or the play call you know is it the coach or the player the more a you know, we talk about this, the more adult you get here, the less amateur you get, the more that's placed responsibility wise on the individual. You have yeah. to make sure you're making good decisions, that you're not doing anything stupid, that you have. If you're going to get into this, these are adult things. I was yeah. not ready for that at 18. But at the same time, you can go into the military at 18. So you should be able to handle finance too. Yeah. Like those are responsibilities. We're going to place one on one. We can we can as a society expect people to make their own decisions in that light. So. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a cornucopia though. It's not it's not it it, it has never been one thing and it never will be. Right. Uh right like if if you're looking if you're looking comparatively speaking at schools that Penn State traditionally recruits against in football, right? Uh, an education at Michigan is awesome. Mm -hmm. an, an education at Stanford is awesome. Notre Dame, awesome. Uh, the the opportunities, right? Like the foot, like the football experience at those places is awesome. That like all of those things are one what you make of them, but two just just part of the larger picture. Yeah. And so like it's. You, you can't like for a lot of these guys, like the, the, the high end guys, the, the, the top prospects, the people, um, you know, who, who are in the, um, you know, the, the on three rankings, like at the top in the top yeah. 300, the top 400, the top 500, like you can't, you can't mess up like the, you just can't. I mean, yeah. it, it, there, there are so many quality opportunities and experiences out there yeah. that, this will just be another one of those differentiating components of hey what do you, what do you value more do you do you want an automatic $50,000 for 
from Texas who, you know, has its own struggles and um, has had some, some success issues on the field, or do you want 25,000 guaranteed dollars, right? With these other things, like it's, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. So for, for great players, you know, let's just bring up like Arch Manning, who is in the class of 2023. He's a quarterback from quarterback royalty. And, and I'm not, maybe this is a bad example, but eventually I think there's no question that the way this will go, it is, it will, it will, uh, increase the years of value of playing football where if you get into the NFL, you can play for maybe three years. You know, the average I think is two and a half years in the NFL. You can play in college. You know, those great players that play in college for four years and then make it two and a half in the NFL. Now they've got six years of earning potential, which, I, you know, no one's really crying over millionaires making a couple more million dollars in, in college, which is why Arch Manning is probably a poor example. But, you know, a guy who is going to be a football player now, instead of only getting two or three years of being a paid professional, eventually it's going to be six, you know, from 18 to 23 so helping players who are making value and doing things on television that we all like and desire. Yep. So, yep. you know, it is it is it's not all bad, it's not all good, it's all worth being examined. Yeah, it's tricky. Yeah. So, let's move on. Here's a good one, Nate. Here's an easy one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Poncho 570 does it mean Vanover have a permanent home at defensive tackle now or will the staff continue to use him at defensive end and do you think that will hinder his overall development so I think that the the presumption here is that I mean Vanover is a defensive tackle and even before he dropped weight and in his he's firmly a defensive end this spring um, I think his skill set is end you know, he's a big tweener body, but the way he played during the bowl game, I saw better end qualities of he's got long arms. He can get to the quarterback. He's not the fastest guy in the world, but he can um, do things at the defensive end position that are valuable. So I think I don't think it's going to hurt his development. I think it's actually where he did, he needs to be. Uh, do you have any other thoughts on that as far as uh, do you disagree that he's a defensive tackle and they're playing him there out of yeah. need? Yeah, no, I mean, that's where he was on Monday. So he was at yeah. end. Um, I, I would expect that to continue. Yeah. He's got, I think he's got good pursuit skills. He's got good chase skills, even if he's not fast. So he can get around tackles. He can make things happen. At least he did in the bowl game. Um, and I don't know that was the best offensive line in the world uh, from Arkansas, which every time I say things like that, or like uh, Arkansas didn't have a pass rusher, or Arkansas didn't have a great offensive line, or the quarterback threw the ball terribly when he did throw the ball, then it's like, Penn State yeah. fans or Arkansas fans be like, you know, they won the game, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. By a lot. Yeah. Uh, Poncho had another question that was actually pretty good um, that this one comes from this week. So he asked, what's the biggest reason to how Penn State got so thin along the offensive line and at linebacker? Do you have anything other deeper nuanced other than recruiting? Um, You know, so I, I think that the the question is how thin are they like in actuality because I was kind of like uh well I looked at the the linebackers and I saw 12 or 13 on Monday and yep. my, my immediate thought was oh man they 
they might be in a they might be in a little bit of a pickle here. They don't have, they don't have that many bodies. Yeah. Uh, you know how many linebackers they had on the roster last year? It was twelve. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah, it hasn't really changed. And the dynamic between or the the uh, the difference between scholarship and walk on really hasn't changed all that much. It's just a matter of you got a couple of guys who weren't able to early enroll and aren't on yep. campus yet. And so yep. because of that, it looks different from what it will be. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that it's quite as dire as it might seem, but when you're talking about a college football roster where you don't have the opportunity necessarily to guaranteed go out and pick somebody up, uh, you know, it, it, it can look that way if you don't get who you're looking for out of the transfer portal. Yeah. Um, so I, there's there's a couple of things here. And this is what I I asked James Franklin about this on Monday during his press conference. And it's something I wrote about last week at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com when it comes to Manny Diaz's defenses. Are, when you allocate your resources differently, it shifts your priorities and your needs. Penn State is young and inexperienced and unproven at Mike Linebacker. But they have, over time, and I know Brandon Smith is going to color everyone's immediate impressions of Curtis Jacobs going over to the will position. But as James said, we've done this for eight years. We have moved guys from that position over to the will for eight years now. And they recruit guys based on... It's a, it's a fallacy that they recruit three linebacker positions. They recruit two. And they get guys' experience at the third. That's what they've been able to do over the course of these eight years at Penn State is find guys that can play that Sam position. And James Franklin said it's a little bit lighter in responsibility. I My, my disagreement has been, and I think my philosophical disagreement has been, it is really hard to play in the slot. It is really hard to play that position well, to do a good job, not just be out there and be kind of a steady force which is what I think they're looking for, but to be a difference maker from that overhang position or the Sam linebacker position, whatever you want to call it. They they have not always had uh, that at times, but um, I, I think they've been good there. They've been better than most teams when it comes to fielding three linebackers on the field at the same time. That being said, they don't recruit Sams. They don't keep guys there. They cycle through that position, which shows you what they value more. That should show you exactly why it's not a big deal for them to flip to playing a safety there. Um, so you condense what you have at linebacker, and then the the Sam linebacker, field safety, field backer position, you can split that responsibility between sub-packages. So I... I don't know that they're de I don't know that they're super thin at linebacker. I think, as you pointed out, they are inexperienced. Yeah, they, I mean the game has changed, right? Like that's yeah, kind of what we're talking about is people pass the ball more. That's how that's how you win. They know it because they're the ones who try to execute it. Right. So, uh, you know, it might it might put you in at, at a slight disadvantage against the Iowas and the Michigans of the world, but have a good uh, defensive line. Yeah, I mean, I think, exactly. Sh shed exactly. and tackle. Uh, you know, and I talked to uh, Deny Dennis Sutton yesterday, and he brought up the Illinois game when he I was talking to him about, you know, his his ability to uh, play the run. And he's a big, physical, strong defensive end. 
And I, I said, like, you know, is that something that you focused on? And, and is that something that's important to you, essentially? And he said, yeah. And if I mean, it's important. Look at the Illinois game. If if the def- he didn't say specifically if the defensive line, he said, if you tackle them or you, you stop them on half those runs, Illinois doesn't come close to winning. And he's right. The problem in that game was not the linebackers. The problem was the defensive line was playing two guys who had never started before because everyone was injured. And the defensive ends, I thought, were good, but if you have a difference maker, like if your defensive line sheds and tackles and they get they disrupt, your linebackers are have an infinitely easier job. Uh, and that's why a bit they're a bit like running backs, where Penn State fans are like, we need to have the best linebackers in the world. And that's like in the NFL saying, we need to have Ezekiel Elliott and pay him a lot of money. And you see yep. how that ages over time. The difference in college is if you're elite at anything, you can be you can have an advantage because the disparity in talent is more significant. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's just it's a difficult um, needle to thread, you know, understanding that there are like when it's a dime a dozen. uh Right. Like yeah. it's not it's not noticeable. But when it's Michael Parsons, it's different. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like when it's when when you have somebody who is that elite, who who are so rare. Yep. Then it changes the complexion a little bit. It's just it's just they don't exist. Yeah. There, there aren't that many of them. So let's let's talk about that in real terms of the next Michael Parsons was supposed to be Brandon Smith. And you can have all the physical tools in the world, but it's, first off, linebacker, I think, from a, and I've been thinking about this a lot this week, and and really the last two weeks when it comes to this position is, you know, defensive end and corner are probably more important in the defense, and cornerback is probably the physically the most taxing position maybe in football, because you've got to be an elite athlete going backwards. But when it comes to the overall mental workload and physical workload to be elite at linebacker, that is, to me, one of the hardest things that you have to... You're always going to be wrong, so how do you compensate for always being wrong in the RPO generation where the minute you take a false step downhill, the quarterback pulls the ball and throws it over your head. And if you don't take a step downhill and you don't get to your gap... The guard is on you, and they get five yards. That's the whole problem. That's the that's why I don't think even in the NFL, the NFL knows what they want from linebackers because yeah. it's a it's a problem you can't solve. So there's two solutions: throw all the resources at it, find the unicorn, or don't worry about it. Like it's yeah. gonna be what it's gonna be. Find a guy who's good and smart and tough, and isn't gonna make who's going to make fewer mistakes in a position where it's filled now with mistakes. And the last thing I'll say is that linebacker Penn state is still getting high end athletes to be yep. those physical freaks. They're in on some really great guys in 2023 and Abdul Carter. Um, you know, I, I'm hopefully we're going to have him here on the daily edition in the, uh, in the next couple of days or so, maybe next week. I never want to say for sure because you know, schedules can be changed and things can happen, but Watching his film his senior season, he turned into that guy of elite athlete with instincts for the position. It's crazy the the what Penn State has been able to get as far as athletes at that will position specifically over the years when you really look at it in the broad term. So Penn State fans, I think, are just used to old school football where, where linebackers meant something different. Yeah. It, look, 
there there is a bottom line reality that Penn State would do well to recruit land Ellis Brooks's forever. Yeah. <laughs> for, for like uh uh smart guys who are tough. If if you can do that and and have a, a few of them, like I don't think that it was an accident that one Abdul Carter, who you, you just brought up, or even some of the walk-ons, like it, it's not that there are guys, there are players who can serve the purposes that you need to have yeah. filled to have a successful defense. It's not. It's not the end of the world. Yeah, it's not the end of the world. Like it's not. It's just not that. It's just not that perilous. You need to shoot for the moon at every position, but you can land yeah. short of that in certain positions more so than others. I think that's kind of the the differentiating factor there. The last thing I want to ask about Poncho's question is, would you feel different if Anthony Wigan was still on this roster about the offensive line and the depth? You know, I was talking about that sp- position specifically. No. Oh. So, you know, I, the, I think my initial reaction about what happened, why did Penn State get so thin... I think it's safety. I make the argument that the transfer portal gutted them. Um, other positions, I'd make that assertion as well. But at the offensive line position, like they just didn't get numbers for a couple of years because of the pandemic and a switch between um, offensive line coaches at a bad time that they could not have predicted. Right? You can't predict that there's going to be a worldwide pandemic that shuts everything down. Oh, by the way, you just switch coaches and you've got to rebuild some relationships in certain positions, in certain places. And, you know, you can't go out and recruit. You can't use your ace. You can't throw your fastball. And then for a year, year and a half, you know, it's not like the world and, waited and around for you in this environment. Yeah. So, so sometimes also. And it's it's not anybody's fault, but like sometimes you you take a chance and it doesn't pan out. Yeah. Um. And and you have to like you have to take some chances. The, 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 you you can't recruit all five stars. Um. And yep. so you know you see the mound of clay and think that you can mold it into one thing, and it turns out to be something else. And you know, you know that, that just it happens. Yep. Um. So yeah, that's where they are. Epic name guy, Losi's mustache is back. He asks, I'm sure you're going to be asked a ton of questions about NIL, so I'll ask a draft question. Do you think any of the non-combine guys have any shot of getting drafted? Uh, Derek Tangelo, by Congo is what he means. Eric Wilson mm-hmm. or Ellis Brooks. Uh, do you have a, Do you have any thoughts before I soliloquy about this? Give hmm. a sonnet. I, well, you are much better versed at this than I am. I, I would I think my guess would be Ellis Brooks, um, mm-hmm. but but maybe Congo. Yeah, uh, I don't I don't know about Eric Wilson. Like I think Eric Wilson could land in a undrafted free agent type of situation. Um, but yeah, I mean you know look like I don't think that there's any question that you're talking about the third day, right? For for oh any for of sure, guys, yeah, yeah, right, like six seven. And then, and then you see, but I, man, it, it is, it is just fit. Yep. That's it. Like being able to stick is just fit. And that is on the teams that offer these guys. Like 
Will all three of those guys be in a camp this summer? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So I'll I'll just give you a quick breakdown on kind of what I've seen out of these three guys. And by the way, Eric Wilson and Ellis Brooks both have a scouting report at bluewhiteillustrated.com. Another reason to sign up for just a dollar is you get access to premium articles, including my video breakdowns, where I don't just talk about it. I show you specifics of what I'm talking about when I say, okay, Eric Wilson, he's good at technically blocking players. He can get to one side of a guy, but then when he faces a guy that has length, he struggles because he doesn't, as in his own words, by the way, when I talked to him earlier this offseason on the Pater podcast, he said, I, I embrace the Harvard mentality. I don't have a lot of overwhelming physical tools. So, yes, I, I would agree that uh, he's going to be kind of an, a UDFA free agent signing, tries to get into a camp and wows people with how smart and how uh, consistent he is. The problem with Congo is he is a really tough run stopping three technique you don't you don't get paid to be that in the nfl just like in college they're throwing the ball all the time so the aaron donalds and the ed olivers and the milton williams those are the guys that are going in the nfl draft guys with pass rushing skill that if they're undersized great they're violent with quick hands and they get to the quarterback he's going to be a versatile piece that can play a little one tech but he's a power player and at 305 pounds, like he's not a power, power player. So he's in, in a bit like Eric Wilson. I think he's got more tools because he, you know, you watch the, uh, I think it was the uh, NFLPA or the, the Senior Bowl or whatever bowl he was in. Um, he, East West Shrine. Thank you. Yeah, I knew that neither of those were right. The East West Shrine game. He was, blowing, was great. He was blowing some guys up. He was getting some good bull rushes. He was pushing guys into the quarterback. But ultimately, he didn't get a sack, I don't think. And if he did, nope. it was kind of a cleanup sack. That's what you're paying for. That's what you're prioritizing in the draft. Now, Ellis Brooks is my stump speech for this guy should be drafted because I don't think his physical skills are that far off. And just like in the NFL, people don't know what they want. They don't know what they need. So get a guy that's good at football. And I'm saying, like, I, I was starting with if he can run well and he tests well, maybe he could work himself into the fifth round, fourth, fifth round. I'm thinking maybe more six, seven, you know, like you yep. great special teams player, smart football player, knows the position, has all the intangibles, leadership qualities. So instead of taking another flyer on a guy that clearly doesn't get it in football, that has the traits and the size and thinking you're going to be the reason that he gets football, just get a good football player. And that's that's my that's my reason. I think Ellsbrook should be drafted on day three. I'm with you. I, like, I, <laughs> I, I think that that uh, he he will prove to be an a an underappreciated piece of of Penn State's defense. I agree, and 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 I, for a lot of reasons, I throw away 2020 for him because, yep. and and I know that everyone's gonna get angry about that, but. There were so many systematic problems around him. And just like we talked about in, in the Illinois game, as a linebacker, you are in some ways a product of your environment. There's only so much you can do. And his mistake that year was trying to see things and anticipate and play out of position. And that's where he's not Micah Parsons. He's not the guy that can do that. He was trying to fill that role as the playmaker. And he just needs to be the consistent, steady force. And that's what he was this year. So, like, as soon as he learned that lesson, 
He became a really good football player. Okay, so Ella Newbury on Twitter asks, forget about where he actually goes in the draft. What QB offensive scheme do you think fits Dotson uh, the best? So Jahan Dotson, where does he fit the best? Well, when you talk about quarterbacks, get the best one. Go to the best one. Yeah. Uh, dude, that's you. Yeah, all, Aaron, all you. Aaron Rodgers <laughs> needs a receiver all of a sudden. Um, you know, uh, Kansas City really needs a receiver all of a sudden. I think those are both systematic fits as well for Dotson. Although uh, Green Bay's a little bit play-action run-heavy. He's not going to be a great run blocker where he's out there on the edge dominating corners. So, uh, but he's got good deep speed. He's a good deep receiver. So that would be a skill set. And Devontae Adams, a bigger, more physical player, but was a route running technician, was a guy that didn't have overwhelming speed coming out of the draft and became one of the best receivers in the NFL because of his positional skills. So that's clearly a fit for him. In terms of what schemes, I think more so than the play-action bomb where you only get a couple of chances to go up and get the ball. And, and I still think Jahan's contested catchability is a little bit underwhelming considering how good he is getting the ball in space when he's uncontested. Um, I think a West Coast system. Route running, timing, precision, speed, and then getting in open space. So San Francisco is another place that would fit him really well. Of He's not the big physical tackle breaker, but they do a great job of getting their players in space and letting them run. And the difference here and why it's not a perfect fit is because Jahan doesn't break tackles. So that's kind of what I'm seeing is, is I think he can be a boundary receiver. I think he does not just locked into being a slot guy, but that would be his role in the NFL. That's how the NFL will see him as the shifty slots receiver with good speed that can get yards. And if you get him open, he can then catch and run. So that's kind of where I see him in the draft. Okay. PSU 87 says when coaches say reps, what does that actually mean? Is it like in our highlight video, Blue White Illustrated on YouTube, which you should go check out, where uh, Aller is handing off to Singleton and no one around him? Is that a rep? Or is it when the offensive defense line up against each other and are playing either tag off or tackle? <laughs> and he says, that's two questions again. At least your two questions are related this time, PSU 87. So appreciate that. Um, do you want to take this one? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think so. It's... It's... Like, yeah, that's not a rep. <laughs> the, the the handoff to Singleton isn't a rep. Uh, yeah, the handoff to to like it's it's seeing a look against the scout team ones or twos, right? Yep. So there there has to be something going like that in a, an evaluation process. Correct, because what what happens otherwise, and this is this is what you see is there, there's only so many like when they talk about there's only so many reps. Um, there there are an infinite number of those of right like because you have five running backs and so paired with five quarterbacks you can practice that uh as much as you possibly could want during like during those periods but once you get uh, 11 or on 7 there are not as many of those there yep. are, there's there's not as many looks that you can get and so what you see during a practice is the third at least fourth and fifth quarterbacks are often standing well one they're either with the scout team for the defense right which also is not 
a, a rep because they are running a play that's written on a white like yeah. a whiteboard. Yeah. Right? Like that's that's not a Penn State play. That's yep. so that doesn't that doesn't really do a whole lot for you. Yep. Um right. So like it's either that or they're standing there watching. And so yep. that's when they call it a, a mental rep is right. Like you get to watch the other guys do it. Yeah. So. so yeah, there has to be an evaluation of something when uh when you're doing a rep. And you can evaluate anything. But there is that combative element of this is a simulated live experience of what we're going to see in a game. So we need to see how you respond in that environment. Um, but technically, you could call anything out there a rep. But then when we're saying we need to get him more reps with the ones or the twos, it is then the deciding process of who you're choosing to evaluate more closely. So that's and I that's spot on what you said. So, Honest Jay Paterno is coming up next. Is there one person on the staff who is specifically responsible for the transfer portal oversight and execution from cradle to grave, or is it managed by a committee? Now, we talked about this earlier this offseason, but with the staff additions, I don't know if you know this specifically. Has that changed, or will that change? Yeah, I think it, I think it will change. I don't think it has changed and I could be wrong. Right. Ryan's better to answer that question. Um, gotcha. But, but yeah, it's, it is something that I, I don't think that there's any question. If you look nationwide, you're seeing actual departments yeah. in the football program devoted to that because it's, it's so broad. Yeah. It, it's, it's such a big, big picture. To, to have to digest and James Franklin, you know, uh, to his credit or not, like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure where you fall on this, but he has been very purposeful in how he has described Penn state's approach to the transfer portal, which is very deliberate. Like yep. they want to be as thorough as they possibly can be more like just as much or as close of an approximation as they can to regular recruiting yeah because they don't they don't want to risk they don't want to risk bringing somebody in who's who's not a fit and so you, you have not seen the same thing from penn state that you have seen from from some other i mean he brings it up constantly yep this notion that penn state's players some of the penn state players who have transferred out and nobody in penn state's organization has gotten a call from that school yep. asking about the player Right. Like that's he, he I think that that it is fair to say he finds that to be very, very troubling. Yeah. Right? He that, has a, a distaste for that particular process. Yeah. So um, first off, I'm available for consultation. I just want to say that I'll work for all two film. So if, yeah. if there is a if there is an opportunity for portal work, which, again, as you said, is a large vil volume of film watching, you know, you need a department. Uh, professional. But that's why I am now a, I can finally say this, like at this point with this particular job, I'm a professional film watcher. So I'm, <laughs> I'm softly available. I am also fully employed. So I want to delicately say that in case my employers are watching, but yeah, I, I think that the, that part jokes aside, that part with more people and more eyeballs, we will become more expeditious of yep. you have somebody who is dedicated to um, pro scouting. Let's just pull the band-aid off and say okay we're scouting 
players that are potentially a systematic fit or that we have relationships with or that we just think are good football players. So here's the list of guys that are going to be available because of, you know, we've done our work to know they didn't get the opportunity that they should have. Something happened. There's a changeover in a staff. And then when somebody does become available, all of a sudden it becomes, okay, here's 24 hours. We've got your film breakdown because that's all we do. Like, bam, we got that with the transfer portal. The name comes up. We got it. We got a profile ready for you. And then if you want to, you can then begin the process of personnel evaluation and personal evaluation and ex expediting that process. That I think is going to be the the biggest change for Penn State over time is just getting that initial kickstart of, okay, these are the guys we want to look at. Then we'll go about our due process, which takes time no matter how you do it. That part of calling, you know, like what you do, your, your, your personal relationship, intel gathering is not something you just do. It takes time. You, you know, it takes calls, conversations, connections, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think that's going to be the biggest change for Penn State this upcoming cycle. I think this one's already in the bag. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, it, it, these things are constantly evolving, and they will continue to evolve. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and I, I, think it's a, I think it's a good model, too. Like, truthfully, to borrow from the NFL and have that division of labor, pro, and high school scouting, it, it's a good model to follow because it clearly works for teams when they do it right. And I think that it's a, uh, you know, I know I know a lot of people in the building don't want to do it that way. But, you know, James Franklin worked in the NFL for a couple of years. He has that pro model. Uh, teams always or players always talk about this team in particular. You know, Micah Parsons, Saquon Barkley always said, yeah, it was very much run like an NFL organization. Now that I'm in the NFL, it's just now I don't have school. So it's just another layer of that. Uh, let's go to another one of our regulars here. Beaverman72 has an interesting question here. Caden Saunders' oh. development, more important than Nick Singleton this year? If Penn State can run legit four deep at wide receiver, that changes the offense, something they haven't had since 2017. Nate, your thoughts on that thought? It's intriguing, I'd say. Hmm. Um, I, I guess I have a question as to what the development is. Like, what does that yes. mean? Does that mean readiness to play from the jump or does it mean being one thing when he arrives at Penn State and being something completely different by the time that the season starts? I, because I think, I think it, that my answer is different based on those. I would say based on his follow up to his question, can regular contributor within the first month of the season? Yeah. You know, I think that's probably and maybe even a little bit sooner than that, seeing as Penn State once again has two power five teams within the first month of the season. So, you know, like hit the ground running and becoming a regular part of the offense that produces and is a threat. Where, where's where's Caden lining up in your mind? That is a great question. He's another guy that I think doesn't I'm not I'm not solely putting him in the slot. I Go. think he can play on the outside. Um, and, and being 178 pounds, by the way, at this point, is the same size as Jahan Dotson last year. So he's already to that threshold that I wanted to see him at. I thought he would get there middle of the season, and he's there already. He's put in the work to be physical enough to play on the outside. And he did that in high school. So I would say, though, based on what they have, that I would say he starts in the slot and is 
you know, a backup versatile piece behind Parker Washington if you want to go four wide with receivers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I Like, I don't think it's an either or. <laughs> I think that both <laughs> of those guys yeah. could be important. I, I think that, you know, do, like, do you need a stud running back? And is Nick Singleton that? And right. if, like, I, I just, when I look back on last year and some of the problems that they had offensively, I, I don't immediately point to a lack of depth from the receivers as being the issue. I would agree. I look at, I look at a running back position in conjunction with ineffective run blocking, uh, as as being as being the shortcoming, right? Yep. Like they just they just didn't run the ball effectively. And yep. part of running the ball effectively for them, the, the biggest shortcoming. I mean, again, like I, I don't I hate to repeat myself, but they just never broke any off. Yeah, <laughs> like you're, yeah. you're just talking about a season long of a 44 yard run, right? Yep. Like uh, I, I went back and just, I watched. So I was watching Eric Wilson film this week to kind of get refresh my memory of like, what is he? What isn't he? And I was more impressed than I thought I was going to be, especially early in the season. I think there was some sort of injury that he had late in the season. But yeah, you watch the way they run and they would break off a run and the running back will get caught. Yep. Like that's uh, that's a huge thing. And to me, um, Harrison Wallace is a big part of this when it comes to the receiver position. And last season, the flashes of Keandre Lambert-Smith were really good. Like, getting 40-yard receptions down the field, that was a thing he did. The drops were a problem. But mm -hmm. you have enough depth at the receiver position that I don't know Caden Saunders has to be right away. And then, uh, on the flip side, I guess this is why I'm optimistic about Penn State's offense in 2022, is that... I'm still going to, until I see something different and or see just more, I'm going to say Keziah Holmes has similar skills. So Penn State has two running backs with explosive speed for the first time in a bit. So one of them has to work out. It doesn't have to be Singleton. One of those guys has to work out. And if Keziah Holmes can take that step forward and was going through as the number two back because of seniority, I assume, through the running back rotation when we were at practice... He's in position to stave off the freshman if he's got the talent that I think he has and that I've been saying he has for about a year and a half. So yep. let's find that out first. And then that informs... I, I love the question from Beaverman because I think it, it, it really does bring up a, a lot of these nuanced thoughts about progression from freshmen. But I still think that the the running back position, what they need is speed, and they got two guys, so I don't care which one it is. One of them has to take a step forward and be a part of the offense. Yeah. No, they, look, like there, there, there is, there's no shortage of possibility. Yeah. It's just a question of who actually steps up into those into those opportunities. I mean, yep. it, look, like you can you can either be in a a like by default situation, which I think has happened uh, in, in, in some cases or a no, like somebody, somebody grabbed it, like somebody grabbed the job and yep. they were just so good that they had to play. 
Um, I was surprised actually, and I'm not sure how I didn't notice this previously, but Keandre Lambert Smith was the the second highest rep getter among the receivers last year. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, Parker Washington was actually third because they take him off the field uh, yep. when they go to their the tight end sets. So yep. like, uh, I, I'm not going to say that we're like overlooking Keandre Lambert Smith, but I think it is a big like it is an undersold storyline of this offseason for Penn State how much his development is critical to like he has this opportunity yep. it's just a matter of him stepping into it yep. um he, he if if that comes to fruition if Keandre Lambert Smith can be what they think that he can be and what he's trying to be like that was a big conversation last December before the bowl was, Hey, you know, he, he's trying, he like, he's, he's putting all of the work in, he's doing what he needs to do. Um, if that, if that can pan out for Penn state, then I think it alleviates some of the like, Hey, he might not be ready, but here we go. Yeah. Elements to that. Yeah. Position. Which he's been thrust in that position since he was a freshman. Correct. So that's, Correct. that's a tough place to be. Um, and, and and that boundary position, just based on the way that Mike Yersich has run his offense previously, and this is the question of evolution, of are you changing, are you adapting to your players? I think he did last season because Parker Washington got a lot of targets. The tight end, the tight ends got a lot of targets. So, but if you have two boundary receivers in Mike Yersich's offense that are vertical threats, and they have that potentially with the guys lining up on the outside, the offense, if you're used to doing one thing and you know that you're good at it and you know that you can call those plays and they'll work, if you have the players to execute it, it makes everything easier. Like, it makes you look smarter. Because the thing that you know how to do, you can finally do. So I think from an offensive play calling perspective, that's a part of it as well. Uh, last question, Nate, and we're already over on time. And I left this one specifically for the end. Uh, not that one. Oh, we already got to that one. This one. I'm a Sean Clifford fan. I have two Sean Clifford questions. Another year with Yersich. Hopefully a run game to support. Can Clifford make enough improvements on the positive to outweigh the negatives? One of the biggest problems with Sean is that he's a trigger happy under pressure. Any chance we see him clean that up? Zach, I want to thank you for being a new listener and viewer of the show. <laughs> this is just so you know. You can go back to any Thursday mailbag edition of the BWI Daily, and we've talked about this for about 30 minutes. So, Nate, let's give our best. Like, we're, we're now playing the melody version of our highlights, where we're jamming all of them in to about a two-minute song. So yeah. you're going to go first. I'll follow you up with the chorus. It's, uh, it's, it's like Jock Jams exactly. compilation. <laughs> like, the, only the best of the best. With another year with Yersich, can he make enough? Yeah, sure. Yes. Yeah. Number yes. one, yes. Yep. Yes. Number two. Uh, number two. Uh, any chance he cleans up a bit trigger happy under pressure? Um, does the does the under? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with this point. Does the under pressure happen less frequently? Because if it does, then you don't have to worry about that. Not as much, right? Like that's that's the biggest problem is he he has a right like 
if if the issue is he's a bit trigger happy under pressure, then alleviate the tr- the pressure, get a little bit better on the pressure, and you don't have to worry about that as much. We're gonna fuck. Oh, sorry, I was getting into the song. Yes, I. That's it. That's the Sean Clifford conversation once again. We solved it. We solved it. It just everything has to be better. Everything. He and everything else, the offense, everything else has to be better. And then yes. So that was a good mailbag. That was a also great run the ball show. effectively. Run the ball effectively. Yes. Do that. Yep. Well, that's what I meant by everything. Because that's the thing. Anything else, Nate? I mean, that was our longest mailbag so far this offseason. We got into a lot of I need good a- stuff. Yeah, I need a nap. I'm tired. That, that exhausted me. My brain has nothing more to give. Yeah. Yeah. And just so you know, we're recording this pretty early in the morning. So we're going to go have breakfast now. BWI yeah. Daily Edition here on Thursday wrapping up. Don't forget, make sure you're following Blue White Illustrated on YouTube because we got Pro Day. We'll have a live update or live updates from there. And we'll have live reaction, instant reaction from Haluba Hall where Penn State's players are trying to make an impression on NFL scouts right here on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We'll be back on Friday.